Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quacksmack. Welcome, welcome. We're getting this week started off right with Monday's edition of Quacksmack. I'm your host, Aiden Hess. Joined alongside me in the studio, I've got Behind the Glass in production, Ben McGrath and Mario Ponce across the table from me. And guys, I I was supposed to host this, sh- host this show last week, but it ended up getting pushed back because of all the, the ice and snow and, and whatnot going on around Eugene. Um, so that was something. I don't know about you guys. I hope everyone stayed safe. I didn't fall a single time on the ice, so I was proud of myself for that. Um, so I want to hear your guys' experience. How did you fare through all the, the wild weather, I guess, that we had last week? Well, for me, the, the, the ice uh, season was really crazy. I did fall, and it did take a little bit of a, uh, you know, a hard hit on my knee, but it, like, it didn't really matter in the end, so I guess it's all good. All good now. All of it's melted. Ben, let's hear from you. Man, I had a crazy, crazy weekend with that. My power went out for like 48 hours. I had no electricity, no heating. My room was freezing. And I don't know how you guys didn't fall. I don't know if you were staying inside, but I was wiping out left and right. Um, Trying to be very, very careful. I think there are some points, uh, there's so much ice where you you can't even lift your feet because you, you, you would just be on on the ground in in a second so took it really careful there but we have a lot to dive into today um a pretty packed week of basketball both duck uh, men's and women's teams are on the road this week so what do you say why don't we get into it uh first off on the docket we've got oregon men's basketball and you know they they were riding high right now they were five and zero in Pac-12 conference play coming into this weekend, and they they head up to the Mountain Schools. They play at Colorado on Thursday, and that at Utah. And the Mountain Schools historically, historically for the Ducks, it's it's kind of been two sides of a coin. They start off in Boulder. Oregon historically has not played well in Boulder. Uh, now after the loss, which we're going to get into, Oregon's now one and ten on the road in Boulder, and then against Utah coming into this game, Dane Allman had never lost against the Utes. Um, so it was a really interesting matchup, uh, two interesting matchups, as Oregon took on Colorado in the first game on Thursday. They ended up losing that one. Their first conference loss now in Pac-12 plays, they fell to 5-1, and 86-70. to And then on Sunday, Oregon played a really back-and-forth game with the, the Utes of Utah, but ended up on the short end of the stick, losing 80-77. to I want to hear your guys' take on what you see out of that game um what did the ducks need to do better just just kind of your your whole synopsis of it i mean the game was really the both games were really interesting to me i think you know the colorado game knowing the oregon's historic record against that team obviously a little bit of a tough matchup but you know the utah game was actually really really interesting i was watching it closely and i saw it go down to the wire a little bit unfortunate for oregon but, you know, I don't think this is bad for the team going forward. Even though this goes to the record as two losses, like, they can still take a lot out of these two games, a lot of experience and a lot going forward, especially into the Arizona game, which will be very, very interesting as well. Yeah, speaking on that record, it's I don't know what's going on with the Ducks and Boulder. It's Even when the men's Boulder team isn't at the same level as the Ducks, it's just they can't seem to do it. And like you said earlier, Aiden, it's not the elevation because Utah 
we've Oregon's been successful against Utah over the years, which is at a similar elevation as Colorado. Uh, but for whatever, whatever reason, uh, the Ducks couldn't get it done again. I think uh, this time around, a lot of that had to do with the return of Infala Dante. And, and let's be honest, he has not looked the same. He looks tired. He looks exhausted after after his recent injury. Yeah, well, Dante Dante's interesting. He came back his first game. Um, he played the op- season opener against Georgia, had a great game. Um, double-double, points and rebounds. And then he came back last week against Cal, played... I don't know, fairly well, but I, I think the Ducks are kind of easing him in, waiting till he, he gets to 100%. But um, in the Colorado game, I don't think he looked amazing. He looked didn't look as strong as we're normally um, used to seeing an Unfali Dante look in the in the low post. Um, just kind of getting out-muscled down there. But against Utah, he, he, had a, he had a solid game. I mean, Oregon, it was a really two-man show against Utah. Kuznard put in 26 points. Dante had 23 Um but I just want to start off on the Boulder game. I mean, it was fairly even scoring effort. No one really jumped off the page for the Ducks in that ball game. And Kuznard led the starters with 11. Tracy led the team with 14, and that was coming off the bench. So uh, JJ and Tracy had a nice one. But um, that game was kind of Oregon had dug themselves into some deficits against the Buffs. They were able to um, climb out of it a couple times, even including a nine-point um, hole they were in at halftime, 43-34, um, and they even. Got back in control, got a one-point lead, 57 to 56, with 11:20 remaining in the game. But then, um, just seemed like the Buffaloes got on a run, and the Ducks were not able to find an answer. And and that just really seemed like a a theme for for the week was Oregon's defense. You know, you have back-to-back games where you allow 80 plus points. I mean, on the road, I get is it, it's a little tougher. I mean, what what are you guys seeing in 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 the Ducks' defense, especially when you go into this weekend where you have a a high flyer like Arizona and the Wildcats coming to town. Well, I think a lot of that goes, again, back to Enfalo Dante. Just that presence in the paint, that's just something that's irreplaceable uh, for this Ducks team. But another thing is just getting out to the three-point line and, and preventing opportunities. Colorado didn't shoot amazing from three, but eight for 19, 40% from three. That's just good enough to really put the pressure on the Ducks inside and out. Uh, and that just makes it really difficult. And and sort of also defensively is is Oregon got beat on the boards big time. 37 to 25 was the rebound spread in that Boulder game. Again, maybe attributed to Infale Dante not getting the minutes he usually does, but just that scrappy uh, rebounding game was definitely a, a weak point for for the Ducks. Well, I think uh, you know, especially coming out of injury. Uh, you know, uh, coming out of injury, people always have to keep in mind that players have to get back into rhythm. They have to get back into their level. I think in Folly Dante, you know, he had a pretty long stretch where he had to sit down. So he's obviously still not 100%. But I think he, he will fit into the, syst- into the system well going forward. I think especially, as you say, you know, rebounds are, you know, are very important. And to see Oregon kind of lose out on the crucial rebounds in both games. I think that's one of the keys that led to their losses. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we, we know the potential Dante has. Um, I mean, he had, he had a really big moment in the, the Utah game. Oregon, um, it just, it's that Utah game especially, I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was flipping through between uh, NFL playoffs and, and the, the Ducks game um, in between the channels there on, on Sunday early afternoon and it, and it just seemed like Oregon would would get on a, a mini run you know eight eight nothing um, they build themselves a four or five point lead but it's just the defense I mean um, 
Utah had that had that um one kid. I'm trying to I forget his name, but um Smith, Darian Dar- uh Davion Smith had he had a whale of a game. I mean, for the Utes, 26 points. That was his uh career high. Every it just seemed like every time Oregon got ahead, um Utah was able to respond, make a big shot and and they just the Ducks just could not take that next step to really cement themselves as as kind of the best team on the floor. But um, just a little recap at the end of the game, the Ducks were down by three points with about 10 seconds left, and they had to inbound the ball the full length of the court. Um, I believe it was Bartholomew who was shooting a free throw. He makes the first one to cut it to two, and he's got to miss the second one intentionally, try to give your team a chance. Um, he does a good job of it. It's a, it's a, it's a smart and... I guess good miss. Nafali Dante is the only man in position who gets the offensive rebound. He grabs it, gets hacked a ton of times on the way up, gets fouled, and then um, yeah, not a very big sample size for Dante this year. But during that trip, he was shooting 41% from the line. Um, and then the first one uh, just off to the right, and that that basically sealed the fate for the Ducks. Um, so I mean, big moment for Dante there. And it was, yeah, just a tough ending for Oregon. But I think it's not the two worst losses. You're still, you're still in first place. I mean, granted, it is tied for first place now of um, of the Pac-12 standings. But the two teams you're tied with, you play them. And but I mean, I guess before we get into that, I just want to ask you guys, what are who really shined this weekend despite the losing efforts? Who really played a great game for the Ducks, in your opinion? I'll step in for that one. Uh, just recently, not only this past weekend, but over the past five-game stretch, I really look at Keyshawn Bartholomew, and I think he's a huge piece for this team to be successful. Uh, a couple months ago, before the season started, I, I had a podcast with him. Um, shout out uh, shout out my podcast for KWA. But uh, anyway, uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew said his goal for this season was to be aggressive, to be that scrappy player. He said when he was, he's a transfer from Colorado, and he said when he was at Colorado, when he was in high school, he was always the star. So there was no need to be that scrappy, tough defender. He was just the score, you know, that, that flashy player. But here at Oregon, that's not his role. He, his role is to play defense, not turn the ball over, and, and be that solid sort of backup guard. And I think we've seen a lot of that from him recently. In that Cal game, he took a huge charge that got the energy for this uh, Ducks team up and and he did a lot of that this past weekend getting some steals and just making some nice defensive plays well I think that for me especially at this point of the season you know scoring is king and scoring is the best and I think definitely for the last couple of games we've seen uh, uh, great performances from Jermaine Cuisinart I think he has definitely been you know one of the guys for the Ducks, you know, in a in a conference as deep as the Pac-12, it's oh, you always need to get you know momentum. And I think even though these uh, games did not result in wins, I think the performances were pretty good. And I think especially uh, Chris Nart could be a leader for the Ducks for the rest of the season. Yeah, Mario, I really I re- I really like your answer with Kuznart. I think I was about to say um, Jermaine Kuznart is my standout player. I mean. Um, I think overall the Colorado game, the Ducks kind of struggled, but Kuznard was was still the the leading scorer of of the the starting five. But but Utah, it's just unfortunate Oregon came on the wrong side of it because it seemed like at moments Jermaine Kuznard was just wanting to will his team to victory. I mean, he has the experience; he's been around the game of college basketball. He's what twenty five years old now, so he he knows how to lead a team. I think he's really stepping into that captain role, and and even going back to Oregon's last home game and their last win against Cal. 
Um, the Ducks were down. The Ducks were down by 18 points at one point, and Jermaine Kuznar got hot from deep. I think he's by far and away Oregon's best three-point shooter. Shooter. He just, I mean, he had a great effort against Utah. Shot seven of ten from deep. So the three ball's really been his bread and butter, um, and I think he he's going to have to be really, really key. Um, for the Ducks coming up, which, I mean, leads me into my next point. Coming up, Oregon, it, it, it's a huge weekend. I, I, I can't remember a, a bigger basketball weekend in Eugene than it is now. We've got a three-way tie for first place in the, uh, the Pac-12 standings right now. Oregon, ASU, and U of A all coming in at a 5-2 and two record tie at atop the Pac-12 standings. And Oregon, I think they get the strongest opponent last, which is the Wildcats, and they start out with the Sun Devils on Thursday. What what have you guys seen from from this Sun Devil squad? They got off to a hot start in conference play, started four and zero, and they've since just won one out of their last three, including a loss uh, to UCLA at home, which Oregon beat on their home court. So. Arizona State, I mean, their record's 11-7. and seven. They got out to a hot conference start. I think Oregon's the better team in that one. What are you guys looking to see in that matchup? I think that, uh, you know, this game is obviously going to be important uh, to set to set the team up to play, you know, the, the Wildcats, which will also be an incredible game. But I definitely wouldn't sleep on the Sun Devils, you know. This is, this is the kind of game that could end up, if the Ducks don't win, could end up costing them in the end. This could be a very classic trap game but i think that if the ducks you know do good defensively do good in the paint and get boards that they just play the same game they've been doing all season they were probably going to win that game it'll be close i think it might be under 10 points but i i see the ducks winning yeah you said down in the paint and that just sparked my what i was going to say i i definitely see this as a rebounding battle I want to see Kwame Evans Jr. He's one of the top rebounders for the Ducks. I want to see him attacking the boards. As for Arizona State, Neil Jamia, I think it is, Jamia. Uh, he's their top rebounder at 5.7 a game. So that battle is going to be interesting and could end up deciding uh, the results of this one. But for the Arizona State game, we'll go the Ducks winning by 15. A, a, a nice little That's rebound a lot. I game. Don't know. What's that? That's a lot, but they are at home, though. They are at home. Oregon. It's a rebound game, and Jackson Selstead did not have a great weekend away, but but it's time for him to come back. He's back on his home court and, and put up a big game again. I like that energy. I really do. Oregon, 9-0 and right now, undefeated. But A lot of Pac-12 teams are undefeated on their home court. Oregon trying to make it 11-0, and hopefully, by the end of this weekend. And, I mean, I think ASU – uh, I think consistency is a big thing for the Ducks. That was really the the biggest issue for Oregon last year was just consistent play, just going two and zero on those Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday, um, whatever two games in a weekend stretches. And Oregon, I think, had a lot of unnecessary. You know, they would go one and one. And I think that when they played the Arizona schools at home last year, it was kind of a. a a similar story. They played ASU last year on a Thursday night, and they just got the doors blown off. I mean, the, the Sun Devils just got hot shooting that game, and, and the Ducks really couldn't um, revitalize or do anything about it. So hopefully it's a it's a different story. I think it's better for Oregon. I don't want to say a, a tune-up game. at Arizona State is, I mean, they're 5-2 and two for a reason. They're, they're at the top of the Pac-12 for a reason. Um, they've had consistency. They, they've made the tournament a good amount of times. Um, with uh, Bobby Hurley at head coach, but I I think uh, maybe benefits the Ducks a little bit that you don't get the you don't get the top dog like Arizona um, right out of the gate. 
So I think I think it is going to be a really uh, a really good game, a fun atmosphere on Thursday, and then Saturday's the big game. Arizona, we know about them. They've they've kind of been the the premier program. Obviously UCLA was up there, but now kind of in a, a rebuilding year under Mick Cronin. Um, but Arizona, they've been around. They've had the talent. Um, they just got a, a big-time transfer from San Diego State who made the national championship last year, Keyshaw Johnson. Um, also got Caleb Love from North Carolina. So Arizona's really got the pieces, and they're trying to cement themselves as, as the top of this conference. What do you see the Ducks really having to do to, to pull off this upset? And Arizona's number nine coming into this matchup. They were number nine last year, and Oregon ended up beating them by 19. So a little bit, little bit of parity there maybe. But what do you see is going to be the most important thing on Saturday? I'm looking, like I said before, for Jackson Shellstead to have a game to take over that scoring load and and really show that he's this guy. And Oregon has had a history of exciting point guards, you know, kind of take the reins offensively. And who knows? Maybe this is is his time to show that he could do it in the big games and and moving forward throughout the season. I, I think that for me, you know, the key is just going to be a consistent 40 minutes of basketball. We've been saying it. A bunch of types now. Consistency is king. Consistency, consistency, consistency. And even though Oregon has played really well recently even, I still don't think we've seen a complete full game of them, you know, being completely uh, very successful in that regard. And when you play the ninth-ranked team in the country, you definitely need to show that. So I definitely think that'll be the key for the Wildcat game. Right, I think that's a good point because Oregon's last game, Cal, they had to make a, a a really just huge comeback right before half to to cut it to four against the Golden Bears, and then um, so really I like that point. Oregon needs to play a clean forty minutes, which I think is something that we've yet to really see. Maybe we've seen flashes of it, but a clean forty minutes I think is definitely going to be the thing. But for me, it's the defense. Oregon's defense at home versus on the road is it's it's a stark difference, really. Oregon. Um, they are they haven't had a game where they've allowed I think 73 73 points or 76 points was the most they've allowed at home and that was against Michigan that game went to overtime so you kind of can factor in that but Oregon's defense has got to be the key last year they played Arizona um, they did a very good job I, for, I forget his name he was that the big center um, for the Wildcats they really shut him down in Eugene last year but I, I defense is going to be critical for the Ducks um, and right now they're trying to keep that undefeated record at nine and at nine and zero, and also not even so much a player thing I want to I really want to see the crowd get into it this is a really big weekend for Oregon basketball I want to see the I want to see Matthew Knight get electric it's Matt I'd say yeah. it's, Ma it's Matthew Knight Arena not Matthew Knight Library <laughs> so we, we've got to really really Encourage, encourage the team, and I, I think they, the team just they love to feed off that that crowd energy. I was gonna say an element that might go unnoticed is this is a Eugene community that's kind of been pent up in their home this past week with the whole ice and weather situation, and then this past week has been super rainy and, and disgusting. So I mean, let's get the community out to these games, and like you said, get the energy in the building. I, I mean, who knows? That might have an effect on the game. I want to see it rocking. I'm looking forward to it. Going to take a little bit of a break here on KWVA 88.1. You're listening to Quacksmack. When we come back out of the other side of this break, we're going to talk Oregon women's basketball. Had kind of a similar feat happen to them down in the Bay. We'll talk all about that right after this. Don't touch that dial. Keep it on 88.1 FM. 
For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired? Family trip? Sick day? Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, this is former KWVA sports director and mascot expert, Chris Clayton. You're listening to Quack Smack on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Quack Smack. We're out of the other side of that short break, and we're just about ready to talk some women's basketball. My name is Aiden Hess. I'm your host tonight, and I'm joined alongside Ben McGrath in the production studio and Mario Ponce across the table from me. So let's get right to it. We just talked some Oregon men's basketball. If you missed that, uh, we post all our shows on our SoundCloud. So if you want to go back and take a listen, by all means, go ahead. But we're just going to hop into some women's basketball here and for the Ducks, like, like the men's team, kind of a similar thing. Both both basketball teams went 0-2 this weekend. Um, for the men's team, they were up in the mountain schools. For the women's team, they played down in the Bay against the Stanford Cardinal and California Golden Bears. Um, and it was kind of kind of kind of a, a tough game, and just overall kind of been a tough season for Oregon women's basketball. Maybe sort of a rebuild. Um, a lot of players leaving the program for don't want to say greener pastures because the grass is damn green in Eugene, as Dan Lanning would say, but um, just been a kind of a tough season for Oregon women's basketball, and I think this this weekend sort of encapsulated it. Oregon uh, played the first leg of their two games uh, at the farm down in Palo Alto, and it was a tough loss. They fell by 25 to the Cardinal, 88-63 to on Friday night, and Stanford, we know about them. They're an elite program. They've been elite for a while now coming in into this game number eight nationally and we're in search of their head coach Tara Vanderveer's 1202 and 2002nd career win that's just crazy to say and they got it she won that tied the NCAA record with um, former Duke basketball coach on the men's side Mike Krzyzewski, um, which that's just crazy company to be in so congratulations to her even though it came at the hands of the ducks it, w- it was a tough game and I want to get your guys thoughts on on kind of what you saw on that oh well 
Well, for me, first, you know, huge congratulations, huge, huge props to Coach Vanderveer. You know, that is a historic achievement, so she definitely deserves praise on that. I think for Oregon, what I would have liked to see a little bit more is a little bit more consistency and defense. You know, this we, we keep saying these things for a reason. This is how pe- basketball games are won. It has been a tough season for the Ducks, you know, a little bit of a reconstruction season. But you can still have fun and you can still have good games on that. So I think we, I would hope to see the Ducks adjust a little bit more on that side of the ball. I want to see more aggressiveness from this women's team. I, they just did not seem like they had the fire defensively. Uh, just two steals on the game against Stanford. Stanford only had four, but just not enough. And, and Oregon, not that this is a good stat, but they only had seven fouls. And I know fouls is a bad thing, and you don't want a lot of fouls, but what does it say, especially when you're playing a team uh, as talented as Stanford when you only have seven fouls? I, I think that just proves of a lack of aggressiveness from this Ducks team. Yeah, I mean, well, I think fouls are actually a really important thing. Sometimes you can be struggling from the field you can be in a a, a two to four minute cold stretch but hey if you get fouled on a shot and you go to the line I mean just seeing the ball go through the basket um that 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 might break your cold slump so uh, aggressiveness I think is a good point to bring up um some of the bright spots I guess in the Cal game um for Oregon they did Chance Gray did have a nice a cool 19 points three of five shooting from deep she's clearly proven herself to be Oregon's lethal threat beyond the arc and then uh, Filipina Che also had 14 points and six rebounds but really it was kind of a dominant effort by the Cardinal Oregon was outscored in all four quarters um, and fell behind by 17 at the half which is just a really tough hole to dig out of especially when you're on the road in an environment like Stanford that's that's a real tough order and then uh, the second leg Oregon traveled uh, to the East Bay, took on Cal. Um, they played a little bit better against the Golden Bears, but unfortunately just still could not pull out the victory. Um, they had a lead at halftime. They were up on Cal 33-31 and even led by one going into the fourth, but then they ran into the the single-digit scoring bug in that fourth quarter and got outscored 19-9, ended up dropping that game 66-57. What did you guys see on that one more so compared to the, the Stanford game? I think... Well, you said you said it yourself. I think the fourth quarter was definitely something that really killed this team. That when we say you know consistency, it means keeping the energy, keeping the level high. And when a team is playing well throughout a game, but then kind of fall falls a little bit into a hole in the fourth quarter, it can be very you know psychologically difficult to get to get out of it. So I understand you know, what happened, but it's still, you know, this is not the best we've seen of this team this season, so. Yeah, and we talk about consistency. They had 18 turnovers in this game. That's, it's hard to win a game with 18 turnovers, uh, and and that's just something that's just, you you really can't overcome unless, you know, some other statistic uh, goes crazy, but those are just kind of the growing pains I think that this team is going to have as they, you know, sort of look for opportunities to grow. Well, yeah, I think it's 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 a, a a young team. I think they're they're learning a lot as the season goes on, and and unfortunately, when you kind of end up get to the bottom bottom line of these young and quote unquote growing teams, is you're going to have a lot of losses. You're going to have a lot of rough patches. Um, this not a spot that you want to be at, but 
Um, you got to know that that there's a, a brighter road ahead, a better future, I believe, for this Ducks women's team. I, I, I hope you guys believe that, too. Um, but really for Oregon, I mean, they, they played a better game against Cal, which improvement is kind of what you're looking for. And it was maybe a little bit unfortunate. Um, the weekend before, they had a, a nice two-game sweep over the Arizona schools in Eugene, um, ended up beating ASU and then Arizona. So they picked up their first two conference wins but now they fall to two and five kind of falling behind the pack especially we know the Pac-12 is a, a pretty loaded conference of a lot of just premier programs in the Pac-12 right now you got um, Stanford UCLA SC Colorado is the even Utah the list goes on and, and Oregon's got still got a, a lot of those teams ahead of them so it doesn't get any easier but I mean going back to the Cal game I, I thought they they played much better than they did in Stanford uh Philly Che had 17 points and 14 rebounds. That's a very nice double-double. And then, But Oregon, the thing that I've noticed is they've kind of had a trend a couple games that, that's really buried them is, is the single-digit point quarters. That I mean, nine points are only one off double digits, but still nine points is not great, and it, and it puts them behind the eight ball early, or it really just kind of puts the nail in the coffin on the game late. So that's going to roll into my next point. We've got um, Oregon. They're two and five in conference play. Their only two wins in conference play are at home. Um, and now I want to raise the question: Is is a is a road win in conference in the cards? Because Oregon's schedule it does not really get any easier. Like I mentioned before, the Pac-12 was pretty stacked. But I think, in my opinion, I think the the trip to Washington in late February. They play at UW in Seattle, and then they go up to Pullman to play the Cougs. I think that's one where they can maybe pull out a win. But they've they've got really the toughest of the tough. They Already got the L.A. schools out of the way, so that's one thing. But um, they've got the Mountain Schools coming up this weekend, which we're going to talk talk about in a little bit. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think that this Oregon women's team is is able to get on the board in, in terms of road conference wins? I do think so. I, I'm, I am confident. You know, I am optimistic about this team. Well, it is true that the Pac-12 is a, is a deep conference, like perhaps the deepest in women's basketball right now. But it is. But I, I mean, I do think that the trip to Washington could definitely be a good opportunity. But, you know, what? not everything could happen in one of these games. Perhaps we will pull off an upset or perhaps we will have a little bit of a trap game for someone else. I definitely think that if the Ducks are able to compose themselves and get a little bit of momentum, get a run in a in one of these games, you know, they could pull off a win. I don't know if it'll be at home or it'll be away, but I definitely think that this team could show us something special the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, when looking at the schedule, the one game that I see that, that I think the Ducks can pick up on the road is that game against Utah on February 11th. You know, they'll play Utah this weekend, like you mentioned, kind of feel them out. And and you talk about trap game in the scenario that Oregon gets beat this weekend at home against Utah. Maybe that's a trap game for the following weekend or following couple of weekends um, as Utah may perceive that they have an easy game against Oregon. We roll into their town and possibly get that win. But yeah, just a brutal, brutal schedule. I mean, you go, the away games are Colorado, Utah, and then back home is USC and UCLA. Absolutely brutal of a schedule. But I definitely think this Ducks team will get a win at Utah on February 11th and hopefully ride that momentum into the second half of the season. 
Well, speaking of matchups against Utah, we're going to get into this upcoming homestand. And we've got four basketball games, two men's games, two women's games, men's games on Thursday and Saturday, and the women playing on Friday and Sunday. We're going to talk about this upcoming homestand against the Mountain Schools for the Ducks. They've got Colorado to start off. That'll be on a Friday. And then they've got Utah um, playing that Sunday noon game. And I mean, just a little look at Colorado. They're very good this season. I think they got on, they just burst onto the national stage right at the very start of the season. They played their first game, um, had a little, I think, I guess, showcase, you could call it, in Vegas, kind of like how the Ducks did against Georgia on the men's side. But um, they up, Colorado came in and just really shocked the world. They upset the defending national champions, LSU, in the first game, and even got up to number one in the country. They since have stumbled a little bit, but Colorado really has been impressive this year. What have you guys seen from the Buffs of Boulder? Well, I think, you know, this is definitely going to be a tough match for Oregon. As you say, Colorado has been kind of the surprise of this year. A uh, pleasant surprise for them, for sure. But I've, I think I think that this game will be kind of a real test for Oregon. Even if the Ducks don't win, if they're able to keep it close, if they're able to play a solid game against, against Colorado, it'll definitely be better for the team going forward. But I definitely feel like this will be, you know, this will also be a big chance for for Colorado to show you know what they can do against a team like Oregon. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, and I think this is a good opportunity for Oregon. It's kind of a nothing to lose game. This is an exciting weekend, like we said, uh, in Eugene, and we're going or Oregon's going up against a team in Colorado that really nationally nobody expects them to beat. So why not go out there with some aggressiveness? Why not go out there with some confidence on your home floor and really just give it everything you got, throw up what you have, maybe an opportunity for Chance Gray to have a big game from the three-point line. I think this is a good opportunity for Oregon. Just It's a, it's an opponent at the highest level and, and see where they kind of rank up. Again, like you said earlier, we don't or Oregon doesn't need to win this game necessarily to, to have a positive exit, but if they can really put up a fight, uh, I think they can come away with this weekend with some, some things to look forward to. Yeah, I like I like that uh, that viewpoint on that. I think if you're Oregon, um, and maybe it's a little bit of, uh, of of house money, we've got nothing to lose, so why not? Why not just give it our all? Let Let's be the team that that the national media and women's basketball is going to be talking about maybe next week about oh how did Colorado lose to Oregon? Well, really, Oregon just put it all on the line that game. I I'd be really excited to seeing that happen as we flip over to Oregon's other Mountain School opponent that'll be taking on Utah on Sunday in Utah not really they had a very very good season last year but I think not so much up to the same standard maybe a little bit less but still a very talented team Utah I think definitely in the kind of the upper mid-tier echelon of Pac-12 teams they made a sweet 16 run in the tournament last year until they played a really tight game with LSU who we know eventually won the national championship as the Utes enter this weekend they've got a 13 and 5 record just 3 and 3 in conference which is interesting and then the really most i guess interesting thing for me is Utah's record is only 4 and 3 on the road they play very well at home but the road is a different story and i think this is a game where Oregon maybe be able to to prove some doubters wrong and pull out pull out a win on that one we we'll want to hear your guys standpoint on that well, I think it starts on the defensive end for Oregon. Alyssa Pilly, I believe it is, for Utah. Yes. She's 
one of the one of the best scorers in the Pac-12. She's an absolute stud, scoring 22 a game. She's I believe had 37 is her se- is her season high. So stopping that is going to be it's going to be absolutely huge. And also scoring inside, she has 20 blocks herself on the season. So that's definitely another challenge uh, scoring inside for the Ducks. Well, you know, you mentioned how the Utes are a little bit less effective. Uh, away than at home well you know home court advantage can definitely be a big difference especially considering that the last game the women's team played was in the snow there was no one there like there were basically no fans there I definitely would hope to see a lot of people show up to see you know this team after those two big wins they had during the snow so I definitely feel like that could be a little bit you know play, play a little bit into giving Oregon a little bit more of an edge even if a lot of people are kind of saying well this team isn't disciplined enough or a little bit too young to win I definitely feel like if the Ducks play well and have a little bit better shot selection they could definitely get a big win against Utah right well I think the the main thing I mean target number one at playing against Utah is definitely Alyssa Pilly Um, she's by far and away the best player she had I mean, just an incredible performance. Last time Utah played in Eugene, she ended up scoring 30 points, and Utah put up triple digits. The final score of that one was 100-92. to um, But going back to what you were saying, Mario, I think, yeah, like we were saying in men's basketball, the crowd is, is a big thing. People have been cooped up in their homes for, I mean, now they've been out for a little bit, but for basically half a week last week last and on the weekend. Um, so why not? Why not come out to Matthew Knight Arena? Why not bring the energy, rally behind both teams, um, wherever they stand and and just uh, see see where how far they can go. Do you guys have anything else you want to add on to that? Yeah, I think it's time for Eugene to to rally around this team. Absolutely. Uh, same for the men's team as it is for the women. Uh, just kind of that nothing to lose mentality. Hopefully, um, uh, the citizens of Eugene kind of have that same mentality rallying around this team, even though it hasn't been you know the best season of of Oregon women's basketball, but it's an opportunity against a really good team and an opportunity for the fans to watch some really good basketball. So I think it'll be a fun one. I I totally agree. I think that, you know, the mentality that, oh, people only go to see the games when the teams are winning all the time, I think that's not really, you know, a good thing to, to, uh, like, a good way to be a sports fan. I feel like, you know, these teams, even if they're not at the top, at the peak of their level at the moment they're still you know really special and these players will definitely appreciate seeing people show up and cheer for them so i definitely agree that this is a great opportunity for the community of eugene to come uh, in support of their basketball teams and then especially just basketball the sport anybody can win in any game we've we've learned that especially in college basketball every single year game after game it's always possible, so definitely hoping to see a big crowd at Matthew Knight. Right, we're pulling for the upset on the women's side, of course. I have to agree with both of you. I'm looking to see, hopefully every fan there, bring their 100% full energy and hoping, hopefully the Ducks can pull off a, a handful of wins this weekend. I think it would be nice, but we're going to take a break. It's going to be our last break of the show. We're going to wrap it up with some NFL, you know, the playoffs are on us. We're getting into late January. It's the peak of football, almost to the Super Bowl. And we're going to talk about it right after this. Keep it right here on KWVA 88.1. This is Quacksmack. 
checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quacksmack. Welcome back to Quacksmack. We're just ready to enter our final segment of the show. We get about 18 minutes left. We talk some Oregon men's basketball, Oregon women's basketball. They got a packed weekend. Four straight games starting on Thursday through Sunday, two for each side. And we're going to get into some NFL talk. Um, the playoffs are upon us. We're getting pretty deep into the playoffs. Already done with the first two weeks. Um, and now, I mean, pretty close to the Super Bowl. It feels like the season kind of flew by. I mean, just a, a crazy week um, in the divisional round of the playoffs. Um, had the Ravens pick up a win against the Texans, 34-10. to uh, the 49ers with a dramatic victory over Green Bay. I'm sorry, Ben. I know you're a Packers fan. I was really pulling for them, um, but the Niners with the one seed just able to uh, get enough, get by. And then the Lions, surprisingly, Detroit is playing for a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs still continuing their playoff success against the Bills. I want to ask you guys, I'll just, I mean, I guess I'll say mine first. I think my favorite playoff game uh, was. Probably probably Green Bay against San Francisco. I think I, I watched that one the full way through. Um, so that one was really entertaining. Um, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. What was your favorite um, game of this weekend? Um, it's hard to say, use the word favorite, but the most significant and, and the one that I can't stop thinking about is, like you said, this, this Packers and 49ers game. I am a diehard Green Bay Packers fan, and although it was an amazing season and, and – and they played way past anyone's expectations. It was an absolute heartbreaker. So many opportunities to beat the 49ers, the team that has somewhat owned us the past few years. And and I also was watching with several 49ers fans, which we have a we have a lot of them at the at this station. Absolutely. Um, so being the only dissenter is, is very tough. Um, <laughs> well, at least you're not a Cowboys fan. I have the chore of being that. Um, you're I will a Cowboys fan. The, the Packers they they do. They do own us uh, in the playoffs, <laughs> but 
it, it's kind of it's kind of like a food chain of the Niners <laughs> own the Packers, Packers own the Cowboys, and the Cowboys are really at the bottom of the list. But Mario, let let's hear your thoughts on it. Well, to be completely honest with you guys, I don't really watch the NFL a lot. But to me, the most significant game was actually in Buffalo. You know that a devastating loss the Bills suffered against the Chiefs. You know. Who knows what the, is the future for this team? I I think even though this we like we've seen some great performances from you know Buffalo throughout these last couple of seasons, they just never seem to get it done when it matters the most. I definitely feel like you know this is a special time for Detroit right now. Even though it seems like they don't really have much of a chance against the 49ers, I won't sleep on them. I think that Detroit could easily get to the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think Detroit's been really kind of slept on this whole playoffs. I mean, I've watched these pregame shows before the Lions are about to take the field, and you have all these experts. I mean, they're about to take on the Rams. That was a high-stakes game. Uh, Matthew Stafford coming back home to Detroit, and then Jared Goff leading the Lions to their first playoff win in, like, forever. Um, and you had all these experts all saying, oh, I don't think the Lions are going to win, but, I mean, maybe they feed off that energy. I think it's... I mean, in the same state, not so much Michigan versus everybody, but Detroit versus everybody. So the Lions, I mean, I've been impressed with them. And I I wouldn't say they have no chance against San Francisco. I think the 49ers are going to be favored for sure. But um, the Lions, definitely, definitely someone to watch out for. I think it's going to come down to their defense for sure against San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think the Packers definitely revealed some weaknesses in this 49ers team. Other than the Ravens game, that really hadn't been shown from the Niners. They had been pretty dominant in every single game. You know, week 18, it was kind of like a basically a preseason game. They ended up losing that one. But uh, aside from the 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 Ra- sorry Ravens and the Packers game, the 49ers have been very dominant. But I I feel like those two games showed the weaknesses and showed possibilities of defeat here against the Lions. And and kind of like what you guys were saying, how can you not love this Lions team? It seems like all the players were counted out at some point in their career. Jared Goff has been trashed and thrashed his whole career, but he's, he's been able to, to put up in, in the biggest moments. He's been, you know, under the brightest lights and, and he's gotten there time after time. Um, and, and his success with this Lions team is, been really inspiring and honestly if i if i was honest i am rooting for the lions big time this one i mean it, the lions they even got division ri- fans of division rivals rooting for them. i mean they're, they're just a great story i think dan campbell is i mean probably i think the most motivating coach i, I i've heard from in in a while and I, I think it's a lot of people rooting for a city that well, I mean, not even just sports, kind of their their history and their auto industry and all that stuff going on that that they've kind of been hollowed out. They've kind of been forgotten, but now they're back. I I think the Lions are back and and I think it, it's their biggest game and and possibly their franchise history. It might even just be their biggest game in franchise history on Sunday and I think it's going to be entertaining. Um I'm kind of rooting for them. Sorry for all the Bay Area um Niners fan supporters <laughs> no. we have at the stage. We have a lot of them, um, but I think I I like to I like to root for teams that you know maybe there are a lot of Lions fans, but when we're surrounded by a lot of people rooting for one side, it, it's kind of fun to take the to take the opposite. But Mario, you mentioned that Chiefs Bills game. I, I didn't see all of it. I saw the end. I saw that that missed field goal. I mean, a couple two games came down to a missed field goal. Um, that was that was something. Um, it just seems like. 
the Chiefs and Bills always just a razor thin margin, really close, and and it just seemed like like Patrick Mahomes he he did enough. Um, he played a, a really a great game. Um, his first road playoff game, which is crazy. I mean, you make three Super Bowls and you haven't played a, a true road playoff game is beyond me. But um, that was a great game. Um, yeah. It's kind of speaking on that real quick. I think over the past couple of years, people have started to disrespect a little bit what Patrick Mahomes does. And they're not as dominant of a team as they were a few years ago, but he finds a way year after year. Still the Chiefs. And and he has been the starter six years, and they've gone to the AFC Championship every single year. It is unbelievable. We have never seen anything like this other than Tom Brady. And I just think it's people are undermining what we're seeing here. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Tom Brady because I remember watching in Miami on TV that Super Bowl between, you know, the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. I remember it being kind of like a very weird game and people were saying, oh, well, now it's impossible for, you know, Mahomes to beat Brady to like eclipse him. But I definitely feel like we have not really seen a team as dominant as the Chiefs have been and as consistent in a long, long time. I almost wish that, you know, either the Chiefs or the Bills switch conferences because this game would <laughs> definitely be a killer Super Bowl. Killer. Like Absolutely. the the Bills Chiefs games throughout these last couple of seasons have been like marquee matchup, like, you know, set it in your calendar type of games, definitely. So, you know, it is just a divisional round in the AFC, but this would be this would be a really cool Super Bowl for sure. I think so for sure, and I mean it, it's crazy that that Patrick Mahomes his only two playoff losses are to Tom Brady, and that was uh, in 2018 the AFC Championship uh, the Patriots won, and then the Super Bowl when Tom Brady um, was in Tampa Bay, and I mean that Super Bowl was in Tampa Bay, so. It's kind of a glorified home game for the Buccaneers, even though it's technically a neutral site. But um, now, now we roll into conference championship weekend, and I think is it kind of what people expected? Well, I mean, yes and no. I think if you said, oh, at at week one, you said, oh, the the AFC championship is going to be Ravens versus Chiefs. I think okay, that's not too far off. I mean, I don't think I think a lot of people expected the Chiefs to be. Um, a little bit more of a juggernaut that they are just in an eleven and six record, but like we said, they're still the Chiefs. And then the NFC may maybe a little bit more uh, scratching your head on that. You know, the the Niners we know about them. They're 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 beasts. They they're a buzzsaw. And then you've got the upstart Lions. So I think the NFC is a David versus Goliath matchup. And then I think in the AFC it's kind of um, two Goliaths really. Well. Coming back to what we were talking about, Detroit, I definitely feel like an us-against-the-world mentality is what has motivated them in the past. But I feel like now, especially as we're saying that more and more people just want them to win for the story that they have, it's sort of like now they have the support of so many people that normally would not even dream of being... Well, I guess they wouldn't be like full-on Detroit fans, but they definitely want Detroit to win. But I think that, you know, what surprised me actually the most is seeing the Ravens here. Like, obviously, they have played an incredible season, but this team had a lot of question marks at the beginning of the year. Like, no one really knew what they were going to do. Like, they have always been pretty good, but they've also had consistency consistency issues in the past. So I definitely feel like them having the great season that they had and making, you know, 
the conference championship game again is definitely look good for them going forward but who knows yeah I, I really worry about this game for the Detroit Lions they haven't been on the road since December 30th it's going to be a month since they were on the road and that was against the Dallas Cowboys which they lost um, it's been even longer since they they won a road game that was December 24th a week prior to the Vikings but I think that says something and, and going into the to the Niners Levi Stadium I believe it's called is not a, a fun place to play. It's a tough place to play. I feel like uh, some of these stadiums, you see a lot of road fans travel, especially when you get a, a, a big fan base like like the Packers or the Eagles or, or the Cowboys or someone like that. But there's some stadiums that uh, it just feels like that the home team just packs it. I think Levi's is definitely one of them. Yeah, and I, I, like – Warm weather teams have a tough time coming to cold weather. Obviously, I think everyone realizes that. But I think it might be undermined of having a cold weather team come to a place like San Francisco. You are not only playing in cold weather, but you are living every single day, every moment for the past month in cold weather. And just to all of a sudden, you know, two days prior to the game, going to warm weather San Francisco, it. It just also is is another aspect that might make this Lions team uneasy. Well, Ben, you know, I to counter that a little bit, I'm not exactly, you know, I haven't been seeing the weather reports from uh, San Francisco for the last, you know, two weeks. But I don't think it is going to be like, a, you know, 30 Celsius game out in the sun, like in the in August or something. I feel like the weather will definitely play a factor, but I don't think that'll be, you know, the the difference maker between these two teams. I, I think the 49ers are just playing a very complete, very physical game right now. They, you know, played really well against Green Bay, but, you know, I think definitely the key for Detroit to pull the upset is just to play the best defense they can. Like, defense, 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 beef that up as much as possible. Keep, you know, the Niners' offense as uh, off the field as long as possible definitely be the key to their win all right i like that take but we've got about five minutes left so i want to jump into some predictions to wrap it up um so i guess we'll start in the afc uh i believe that's the first game of sunday slate i think it's coming on around noon i want to say not too sure about that but um we got the ravens hosting the chiefs and i think that's a really interesting matchup i think the ravens especially um, they're, they're a juggernaut. Their defense is, I don't even think you can argue it. I think the Ravens defense right now is the best in football. They have shut down elite offense time after time this year. Um, and so the Ravens, they haven't been to a Super Bowl since that 2012, 13 season. Um, and they're looking to get back. Uh, I think they have the pieces Throughout the years, the Ravens had some injuries. Their receiving core was not up to par, but they got Lamar Jackson, who I think is going to win his second MVP. And they're taking on the Chiefs, which, to be honest, I think the Chiefs, I think they will put up a fight. But if the Ravens' defense really locks in and they can slow down Patrick Mahomes just enough, I think we'll see the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree. I will pick the Ravens as well. They've been an, on an absolute tear. And a few weeks ago, Everyone thought of the 49ers as the premier team in the NFL, and then the Ravens absolutely ripped them apart, 33-19. Uh, to 19. 
And, and since then, the Ravens have been on an absolute tear. They put up 56 against the Dolphins, and they've looked the same in the playoffs. They put 34 to 10 against a really, really hot uh, Texans team. So I got Lamar Jackson finally getting to the pinnacle game and getting to that Super Bowl. Well, for me, the key of this game is that this is the highest profile Mahomes-Jackson matchup we've ever had. I think definitely the mental battle is going to be the most important one. But I feel like, especially at home, Baltimore just has that tiniest bit of an edge. I think this will definitely be like an overtime shootout, but I also have Baltimore winning. I can I can see it coming down to either a Harrison Butker or Justin Tucker field goal for sure. Um, but I think, all right, we'll move into the NFC. Uh, this one, a, a little bit, not as not as chalk, I think, as people thought. So we've got... Um, San Francisco, who's the number one seed in the MV- in the NFC, they've been pretty dominant all season. Um, besides, they had a, a three-game losing streak, and but they rebounded from it, and and they've they've just been on a tear ever since that Ravens game where they stumbled. And then you've got the Detroit Lions, who kind of um, we knew they were going to make improvements from a, a pretty solid season last year, and now they're just one game away from the Super Bowl. Um, the matchup I want to see in the Super Bowl I think would be Ravens-Lions, um, but I just can't see one of these teams, either the Chiefs or the Niners. I can't see both of them losing. So I think I think the Niners, I think they just have too much firepower. I think Detroit's run, sadly, might be coming to an end on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe a wake-up call for the 49ers in this past week, and uh, you know they're ready to go, and, and, and they're alive and awake and, and ready to get back to that. Uh, Super Bowl is a team that has gotten to the Super Bowl multiple times in the past 10 years, and they are maybe their best shot they've ever had, the, possibly the best team they've had in the past 10 years uh, against a relatively inexperienced Lions team. I got uh, the 49ers by a big margin. I respectfully disagree. I think this is definitely the Detroit's uh, chance to shine. I think it'll be a close game. It'll be a tough matchup, but I, I – predict the Lions will win by a field goal. Well, all right. I'm looking forward to the action on Sunday. I hope you guys are too. It's going to be a fun weekend of sports. Um, just a little recap of our show. We talked Oregon men's basketball, Oregon women's basketball. We got a full slate of games for them this weekend. Um, Austin Oda will be on the call for the women's games. Um, and then you can check out the men's games on the Oregon Sports Network along with NFL on Sunday. All really excited for that. That's going to do it for Monday's edition of Quack Smack. Make sure to listen in same time, 6 to 7 p.m. tomorrow. It'll be Austin Oda and friends on the show. But for your host, Aiden Hess, Ben McGrath in production, Mario Ponce across the table from me, have a good night, everyone. This is Quack Smack. <laughs>